morning we're going to begin a brand new series found in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is in the New Testament. It's toward the end of your Bible. If you just get in the New Testament and start taking a right, you're going to have to drive for a while to find 1 Peter. But once you get there, it's going to be a small letter from a man by the name of Peter. This morning... I want us to begin talking about something that God has laid it on my heart that we have a culture that is in conflict with our faith and how do we deal with that conflict when it is addressed at what we believe, what we hold dear, what we hold true as our values. I believe 1 Peter is a great place to go because during the time when Peter wrote this letter to the believers of Jesus Christ, they were experiencing conflict in their culture because their culture was very pagan. It was very, very much focused on other gods. And so these believers were dealing with an environment where they were persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Today, there are many things in our culture that we are faced with that is in conflict with our faith. Things such as marriage, sexuality, gender, prayer even, school, family, basic morals, abortion, love. All of these seem to be in conflict with our faith. And how do we live, how do we exist in this culture and exemplify evidence of the grace of God? For some, it seems that if you do not agree with my position and my ideas and what I believe is right, then you become the enemy and my only option is to attack you and destroy you and remove you from the equation. Can I tell you that is not scriptural, nor is that Christ-like. So all of us who call ourselves believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, let us not act like the world, but let us act, think, believe, and talk like this man we claim to follow, Jesus. Now this guy who wrote this letter is someone who lived with Jesus. This guy who wrote this letter is someone who actually denied Jesus at one point. He opened his mouth so many times and stuck his foot in it. As a matter of fact, he must have carried around a salt shaker so he could put a little salt on his foot before he ate it. He was constantly speaking before he was thinking. But God did a work in his life and grew his faith. But many of us today, I'm hearing story after story of people dealing with a culture that is in conflict with our faith. There are parents who are struggling with the idea of their children being in a public school because of the values and the culture that is there. And it's not just because of teachers, but it's the culture that's within the students in these schools that make it difficult. Ladies and gentlemen, you have not heard about this, but I believe soon you're going to start hearing about it because there is a mass exodus from public schools right now. The private schools are filled up. They cannot take anybody else for the fall. They're trying to find more room so that people can come to private schools because there is a mass exodus from our public school system. And it's because there is a conflict 
between people's faith, their values, and what is happening there. But how do we deal with it and do it in a way that honors God? This is not easy to do. For it seems that we have sometimes become the enemy of those we work with, those that are our neighbors, those who are in our families. We become like an enemy to them. What is often important in the culture is often not as important to us. The culture seems to be setting this precedent and this idea of what they declare as right is right. And what we declare as believers of Christ is right, they declare that is wrong, archaic, outdated, uh, bigotry. It is something that needs to be removed from society. But ladies and gentlemen, I am here to declare to you as your pastor, I will always declare Jesus Christ is the way, the only way, the truth and the life, and that it is only through Jesus we will find peace in our culture. It is not going to be found in the tolerance or in the compromise of letting people just have their way and call them fine and pat them on the back and say, oh, you are just absolutely accepted exactly the way you are. Ladies and gentlemen, we can accept someone and not agree with them. We need to get back to being able to have conversations with people rather than fight, argue, and bicker with people. So today we're diving into this idea of our culture contradicting, our culture being in, in opposition to our faith and how we are to deal with that as followers of Christ. I'm going to begin by telling you this. If we respond as the culture responds to us, then you're not responding as Jesus Christ. Because the culture should not set for us how we will respond to them. We should be setting for them how we should respond to each other. And that is through the love of Christ, through the grace of God, through the mercy of God. Yet standing for truth, but loving our fellow man. First Peter, he wrote this to encourage the Christians, Christians to face the persecution in a way that the true grace of God would be evidenced that there would be absolute evidence of God's grace and mercy so that those who were around them who were doing the persecution would step back and go, wow, what's up with you? So that is where First Peter is going. This is what Peter is wanting to do to the believers. Warren Wiersbe said this, and I think this is a powerful quote. Faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. If your faith cannot be tested, you need to recheck your faith to see if it's truly in a God who created the universe. As the, the Colossians, as Buddy read today, as it all points to Jesus and He holds everything together, if your faith cannot be tested, can your faith really be trusted? If it cannot be trusted, is it really in the thing that is holding all things together? And that is Jesus. So this morning, as we lean into this a little closer... I don't want us to get our minds on things that are not of the Word. But I want us to think about the experiences and the things going on around us. Whenever we think about or talk about culture, it is an important word. It is a word that is used a lot today in many areas. For instance, on a football team, they are trying to create a certain culture for that team so that that team will become a winning team. So there's a culture that is set. It usually comes from the coach or the higher-ups where they are setting this idea of work and practice. 
I saw that just a, just a couple of weeks ago during spring practice for my son when we have a brand new line coach for our football team. And he looked at every one of them and he said, look, I'm going to give junior varsity two mistakes. I'm giving varsity three. Whoever fails that many times, if junior varsity fails three times, varsity fails two, then you're all going to do bear crawls. Their eyes got big. Didn't think he was serious till they messed up. He is setting a culture of excellence, of expectation. And that's what culture is. Culture is about the customs, the ideas, and the social behavior of a particular people or group. That is found in the Oxford Dictionary. So when we talk about culture, we can talk about a sports team or we can even talk about the Christian culture. The Christian culture of the customs, the ideas, and the social behavior that is particular to Christianity. But can I tell you the problem? The culture of Christians looks so much like the culture of the world, nobody can tell the difference. Come on now, pastor, don't be, don't be meddling today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the sadness of what is happening Our culture and our Christian lives seem to meld together to a point where you cannot tell the difference between the two. God never intended for the Christian culture to look just like the the world's culture because the prince of this world, Jesus said, is Satan himself, the evil one. So if you model yourself after the culture around us, you're modeling yourself after the devil and not Jesus. So we have to be very careful and what we listen to, and where we go, and what we do. Now, I know that there's another culture that I enjoy. That's the Southern culture. There are certain, certain things down South that you won't find anywhere else, such as sweet tea, hospitality. People from up North and around the world will come to the South, and, 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 and they, just go, they, they just go, man, y'all are so nice. You just say hey to everybody. You throw your hand up at each other. I just recently heard about one state that you cannot even look at people because they suspect you and they may get upset just simply because you look at them. See, the southern culture is different because we have a certain certain set of values and morals and ideas that create a culture around us. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a culture that is contrary to to our faith, and we must understand how to address it. To try to live as a Christian in a hostile culture can only be done with a relationship with Jesus Christ. With a, a embodying the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that's the only way we can deal with this, this culture that contradicts the faith. Knowing whom we belong to is the basis to understanding how to deal with a culture that contradicts our faith. We are not identified by this world. Ladies and gentlemen, let me give you some freedom. You are not identified by the opinions of other people. Your identity should never be found in what other people think about you, whether it's about your faith or not. And also, we should never... Try to identify people and give them an identity that is based on their performance. We need to see people through the eyes that God sees them as someone who is worth saving, someone who's got great value that Jesus would die for. 
When we look in the mirror, we should not see someone who is a failure and who is not worth anything simply because other people have said that. We need to see what Jesus had done for us. He died on the cross. That makes you worth something. So when we understand who we belong to and that's our identity and that's our worth, when other people say things, it kind of takes the edge off. But it still hurts when people come at us. It still bothers us. Our relationship with the Father gives us hope. Chuck Colson said, As Christians, we have no reason to lack hope. Christ has shown the trustworthiness of God and of His Word. And since His Word can be trusted, let's dive into 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning and begin to work through this a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 says this, Peter... An apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Man, you could preach two or three sermons just out of the first two verses. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Somebody say living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we talk about hope, the first thing that we can understand is this, is that our hope is living and not dead. When people seem to attack us or come against our faith or talk about the Bible and say that it's archaic, it's absolutely something that should be removed from society or Christianity or church or they call you names or, or they just ignore you because they find out you're a Christian, then we need to understand that there is a living hope that exists inside of us that is not defined by them. The definition of our living hope is found in what? Let's look in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our living hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not in the opinions of other people. Not in the situation or the trouble that we find ourselves in. You know, these people were facing persecution, but they were being, being tried. They were, they were dealing with issues of life, and I know many people are today. And you need to understand that our living hope is not found in how good we've got it, how nice things are, but it's found and grounded first and foremost in who we are through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No one in here including myself, deserves the grace that God gave to us through the resurrection of Christ. But thanks be unto God, because of His mercy, He extended that grace to each of us so that we may have a living hope that transcends what is happening. See, this is a foundational concept that once we understand who we are in Christ, because it comes from that resurrection of Christ in the past, and that makes it all about Jesus, we understand our hope is not dead, our hope is not outdated or antiquated, and the resurrection of Christ is the, what makes our hope living today. I declare to you today, Jesus is alive and well, and so is our hope. We may look around at our culture and say, what in the world is going on? seems like things have gotten out of control when they put 
litter boxes in public schools because some identify as a cat. Ladies and gentlemen, that's real. I did not make that up. It's happening in our community right now. This is why people are running away from the public schools because when you, when you base your identity on what people think and their opinion, then it opens it up for anything and you can never say no. Ladies and gentlemen, I am absolutely con convinced Brothers and sisters, beloved, that Jesus Christ values us too much for us to live like that. He created us with value and worth. And He gave us a living hope through Jesus Christ. But how do we deal with these things that seem to be out of control? Well, the second thing is this. We can hold on to this hope because we have a hope that they do not. They may think they have hope, but it's temporary. Our hope is, is lasting. Listen, verse number 4 of chapter 1. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Let me tell you something. Our hope is not only living, it's eternal. It isn't temporary. It isn't based on the fad of right now. It is based on eternity to come. That we have an inheritance that is out there that we will receive one day. Why is it? Why is it that we only talk about heaven whenever there's a funeral? Why is it that we only think about heaven whenever we're standing in a, a funeral service or a memorial service? The majority of the time when you hear about heaven and eternity is when someone has passed away. It's a little late at that point to talk about heaven for the person who's in front of you. I am so thankful that many times I get to stand and do a funeral of someone who has set forth their message for the funeral, and that message is this. I'm okay. I'm going to a place where I'll never grow old. Never grow old. Never grow old. I did a funeral for a lady this, this week, and she picked out her songs before she passed away, and that was the first one. She wanted everyone to know, I'm going to a place where I'll never grow old. How many of you are sick and tired of growing old? Come on now. Let's be real. We get forgetful. Our hair is falling out. I know mine is. My, my forehead's getting all shiny. And my son says it, it's, it's all shiny online. So let me clean it up here a little bit and get some sweat off so it's not as shiny this morning. My hair is gray. And I want you to know you can't do nothing with gray hair. For those of you whose hair is not turned gray... Thank God for it, because I'm telling you, once it turns gray, it becomes coarse and different, and you just can't do nothing with it. The Bible talks about, in Corinthians, Paul said, as the outward man is decaying, the inner man is getting younger. Why is the inner man getting younger? Because we have an eternity. We have something we will inherit, which is heaven, that we need to keep our mind on. Colossians 3 says to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Our problem is, is we keep thinking about the earth rather than our eternity in heaven. Man, when we look around and see what's happening and seeing what's happening to our bodies and our world and, and in our lives, we should say... One day, I won't have to worry about the price of gas. I won't have to worry about battery power. It doesn't matter whether it's electric or gas. I'm going to fly out of here. And I'm going to fly straight to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus. When we think about the eternal side of our faith, it should give us hope. 
Because all this stuff is just temporary. Third thing that that is declared by Peter, not only is it a, a living hope and it's an eternal hope, but our hope is also secure. Look at verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who are protected by our government. Is that what it says? Absolutely not. Who are protected by our financial security in the bank. Is that what it says? No. It says we are protected. That eternal security of our hope that we can have is protected by God Himself who created all things, who spoke the world into existence, who sent Jesus Christ as our Savior, who loved us so much that He gave His life for us and was raised from the dead. That is the security and God Himself is the one who protects it and secures it for us. Better than any vault you could ever find. Better than any security that is around this world. And I guarantee you there are some places that there is absolutely no way that we could break into. But let me tell you, no matter how secure man makes it, God's security of us is even greater than that. You can think that we have it tough here, but when we begin to think about heaven, it makes the things here seem little and small and minute. No matter No matter what we are going through today, we are inevitably marching toward an eternal glory, an eternity that is secure, that is living. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whenever our culture is running against our faith, or our circumstances and our situations seem to be running against our faith and we begin to get low, let's set our minds on these things that give us hope so that we can lift our head. Now, I'm not promising you it will not hurt because it will. I'm not promising you that it it won't be difficult because it will. And I'm not saying it won't be complicated because I'm sure that there'll be complications you've never seen before that can come through all of this. But in the midst of it all, we can have a living hope that gives us joy from the inside, even though outside we may be sad, though our hearts may be breaking. As a matter of fact, here's what I want you to know. Know for sure of this. Here's where I want you to focus today. This is a building block. Number one, that's built on the foundation of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right here is the building block. To deal with the culture that contradicts our faith, that is in opposition to our faith. Know this, that this home is only temporary. This is not my home. This is not where my destiny lies. Now, I may have a house at 4805 Brook Valley Lane, Flowery Branch, Georgia, 30542. And it may be worth a whole lot more than it was when I bought it. As a matter of fact, I'm still paying for it. It still belongs to the bank, mostly. But let me tell you, I don't have to make mortgage payments on my eternal home. Every payment was made by Jesus Christ when He hung on that cross and He paid with His blood the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. And then He raised from the dead. He paid the mortgage for our eternal home. He said in John chapter 14, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if he's preparing a place for you, I tell you what, it's a whole lot better than any houses you can buy down here on earth. It doesn't matter how much they cost. 
whether they're a half a million, 1.2 million, or 25 million, they do not compare to a home that's been prepared by Jesus himself for you and I. Our home is not here. Write this down. Though this world is not my home. We need to be thinking about eternity. Notice in verse 1 of, of 1 Peter. He says, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout. What he's referring to is these Jews who, who are Jewish at heart and their heart is in Jerusalem. They're living in all these different places. And all these different places that they're living is not Jewish places. So they're living in a world that is countercultural to what they know. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not our home. We are living in a culture that is not going to line up with our beliefs. There was a time, you'd have to go back 50, 60 years ago, whenever everything in culture was going the same direction. You had government, you had entertainment, you had our school system, and you had the church. All of them were pointed in the same direction. You'd watch things on TV, things coming out of Hollywood, and they'd mention the Bible. They'd talk about Scripture. John Wayne would talk about the Bible. You know, there would be these movies that would talk about the Bible. There would be things that would reference going to church. There would be prayer. And then Hollywood began to take a different turn. There was prayer in schools. There were devotions in schools. And then the government said, nope, you can't do that any longer. The, the courts ruled on that and said, no, you, you cannot pray in schools anymore. So the school system began to go in another direction. And then we had our culture. All these things began to feed in. And everything is going in an opposite direction than our faith. We live in a difficult time. But we can have hope. We are only aliens living here in this world. This is not our home. Somebody say, this is not my home. My home is to come. Let's continue to read. Verse 4 through 6. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. If we are going to be able to rejoice in this culture of madness, as I would say, it must be based on the eternity that is to come, knowing that there is a heaven to gain, a hell to shun, and a world that is not my home. No matter how difficult it gets here, no matter what goes on in my life, there is a heaven that is to come. And that's where my hope should lie. My hope should never be built on the popularity of people, what they say about me or what I do. I know it's important whenever our families love us and when people around us are there to, to, to hug us and, and to give us compliments, but that is a little bit different than finding my identity based on what other people say. My identity is found in Christ. I do enjoy the compliments. I do enjoy people whenever they are building me up. It, it builds my faith. And that is okay. But my identity is found in Jesus Christ alone, not how many likes I get on Facebook. Man, I'm hardly ever even on Facebook because you want to know why? If I get on there, I can fall trap. I can fall into that trap of thinking my likes is what God's my worth. I stay off of Facebook unless I have to be on there or Instagram. I get on there and I see things and I may like things. But, you know, my identity is found in Jesus Christ. 
Social media can come and social media may go, but my foundation in Jesus for eternity will last forever. Let's continue reading because this is quite remarkable. Let's go to verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while. Why would he say now for a little while? Because he understands this world is temporary. He's reminding them this is not their home. This is only temporary. Even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, not only are we talking about the resurrection of Jesus, but the revelation of Jesus, which is future. Our living hope is based in the past and the future so that the present, it can be alive. We also see here that, that Peter uses some words like grief or distressed. He uses words like trial and testing. Those are tough words. Those are words that we don't necessarily enjoy. But can I tell you, when he talks about distress or grief, that is an emotion, that is an inward thing that we deal with. He's saying, this is something that's real. And he also says that there is a trial, there are circumstances that are outward. And many times it's those circumstances that create the emotions of grief and distress and, and being pulled down and depression and, and, and just our emotions being sick. But I'm very thankful that we have a choice. Because when he talks about trials, a trial or a test is to help us be better, to reveal who we truly are. So these trials, we have a choice to let it make us greater by leaning more on God himself and having our hope on eternity rather than the hope on the temporary which is around us. This is not our home. God will take you where you never intended to go in order to make you what you never thought you could be. God wants to do that with you today. This is only our temporary home. People need the hope that grace brings to them. That's why the evidence of grace in our life must be present for people to see. And whenever things are going crazy and it's bad and it's out of control, and we can have a confidence and a hope when other people are hopeless, we can tell them and we can show that evidence that you know, it may get tough. Gas prices may hit $12 a gallon, but my hope is not in the gas prices or my bank account. My hope is in eternity of heaven. One day I won't worry about those kind of things. And people will begin to wonder, how do you deal with this stuff? It's based on the living hope we can have that is centered on eternity. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. Tim Keller said, you and I are unavoidably and irreducibly hope-based Creatures, we are controlled not how we live now, but what we think will happen later. Christian hope has to do with the ultimate future, not the immediate present. Our hope is found in what there is to come. We want God to give us relief and take away the difficulties. We want God to not even let things happen. We want him to step in to keep things bad from occurring. But ladies and gentlemen, let me go back to what Warren Wiersbe said. A taste of faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. 
Our culture does not surprise God. The people that treat you the way they do, that does not surprise God. Our God is present in our life. He promised He would never leave us or forsake us. He would be with us even to the end of the age. Those who read 1 Peter, heard 1 Peter for the very first time, they were encouraged to lift up their eyes and to look to the hills from where their help came from. To look and see a God of eternity who's very present in their life. And that's where we are today. To deal with this stuff in our life, we must understand that building block, that our eyes must be focused on eternity and not the present and the here and now only. It's important that we pay our bills. I guarantee you I would no longer be living at 4805 Brook Valley Lane if I didn't pay my mortgage. It's important we pay our bills. It's important that we take care of certain things in our life. Those things God would expect of someone following Christ. But we cannot get our eyes so focused on the temporary that we lose hope because we forget about the eternal. So I believe Peter is making it very clear in these verses. Let's keep our eyes focused there. Verse 7, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What must I do? How do I put this in action in my life? Well, the first thing is this. Keep my eyes on Jesus the future I have with Him. Keep my eyes on the future with Jesus, not the present of the trouble. We may have to deal with it. We may have to interact with people, and that is exactly what this series is going to be about. How do we interact? We'll get into the nuts and bolts of that because Peter really talks about it. But let me tell you, before you get to your actions, your words, what you do, we have to begin with the eternal, the internal, what we think and who we are. We can never address the issues that we, we have with the culture if we don't address who we are, our identity, and understanding our perspective of the future. Because if we get that right, we will see people differently. We will interact with them differently. So the first thing is, is keep my eyes on my future with Jesus. Our troubles are here to help us long for the future with Jesus. Those pains that you're having, the, the, that Arthur who keeps showing up every morning when you wake up, and that Arthur that, that, that is there to push you down and cause you to have trouble getting up out of chairs, you know, that arthritis, when you get to heaven, will no longer be there. Those moments of, of, of problems with your stomach will be gone. Cancer will be no more. Grief will be gone. If you want something that, that will encourage you, just flip over just a, just a couple of, of books and you'll find the book of Revelation and you can get back there to the back at chapter, chapters 21 and 22 and be encouraged. There is an eternity to come. That's where our hearts need to long. Second thing is this. Rejoice in my inheritance. Just as Peter say, said that we should rejoice 
in these things. What he's referring to is our future inheritance, our future in heaven, our future with Christ, that we have a beautiful place called heaven to long for. What is to come is always going to be greater than what you're dealing with in the present. What is to come is always going to be greater than what you're dealing with in the present. No matter how good the present may be, give it a day. Something's going to mess it up. So what are we to do with this over the next seven days? Well, I challenge you to do this. Talk with someone about heaven. Talk with someone, and maybe you need to read Revelation, the last two chapters, Revelations 21, Revelation 21 and 22, so that you can see what that new heaven and new earth is going to be like. So you can understand the eternity that we will inherit as we know Christ. As we keep our minds on things above and not on earthly things, we will find ourselves able to engage in conversations and not become so emotional. Can I tell you? Let me break this down for you. The conflict with culture is not a personal attack on you and I. It is not a personal attack on you yourself, even though it may feel like it. Jesus Christ said that in this world you will have trouble. He also went on to say that you will be persecuted because of me. Don't be surprised. When people call you names, make fun of you, reject you, you you don't get the job, whatever happens because of your faith. Don't be surprised by that. But don't take it personal. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do, is to take your identity and base it on the acceptance from other people. So let's keep our eyes focused on eternity. And start with that building block as we engage the culture. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning and this day. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that heaven brings, the glory of your eternity that we can hold on to. Lord, oftentimes we hear, we talk, we read about how heaven can be present in our life, and that is so very true. We need that hope because it's a living hope. But let us not forget about the future hope, which is heaven. Lord, let us keep our minds there so that how we respond to things, we will know that we have a hope that is to come. And that when we see people who seem to be out of their mind, and we make that judgment call that they must have lost all senses, and it makes no sense to us why they would think or act, behave, or talk the way they do, That as we think about eternity, we can think about how God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that that very person can have a living hope. Lord, we pray today that you help us think more about eternity. And God, if if someone has never made that step of faith and chosen to follow after you, pray today will be the day. I pray now will be the time that your Holy Spirit will deal with their heart. That they will listen and they will ask you to forgive them and ask you to take over their life. For Father, it's only when we fully belong to you we can call you Father and then we are secured for eternity to have an inheritance of heaven. Lord, without Jesus we would be absolutely hopeless. We would be a miserable people. 
but we're very thankful that we have hope because of Christ and His resurrection. So today, work in our hearts, O Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.